Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style and powerography would like to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners quartz and canary jewelry and wellness company use code empower 15 to receive 15 percent off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com quartz and canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style hello there brad walsh here your host of the empowerography podcast today my guest is esther lemons she is a creative rebel queer mystic, an artist, podcaster, writer, and generally non-conforming. How are you doing this morning, Esther? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I know that uh, this is our third or fourth attempt at this, so I am very happy to have you here and finally (laughs) be able to dive in and learn a bit more about who you are and what you do and share that with the audience. So let's jump right in. Let's do it. So Esther, you are a creator, a graphic designer, an artist, podcaster, budding writer, truth seeker, gentle activist, and queer mystic. You also go by the nickname Zesty. How did you get that nickname and who gave it to you? Uh, Well, I kind of gave it to myself, actually, because (laughs) um, when I moved to the UK, I was looking for words to sort of use for my business. And because of my name, Esther Lemons, although it's not spelled as the fruit, I was, yeah, looking for words that like a Brit that felt resonant. And I think I got a thesaurus up and I was just going through all the things. And when I found the word zest, I was like, that is perfect. So, yeah, that's how Zesty Design was born and then many other Zesty projects since then because I can't help myself. I'm I'm a passionate (laughs) manifesting generator and all that. So that's how I got it. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. (laughs) Self-proclaimed Zesty. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you are a graphic designer by trade. That's your profession. How long have you been working as a graphic designer? Oh, for over 20 years. It's what I trained at. I went to college to study graphic design. Right. um, yeah, but I've been self-employed. I worked in agencies and stuff, but I've been self-employed since 2014. And uh, yeah, yeah, I love it. And so what inspired you to get into graphic design? Well, I think when I was in secondary school, I was thinking about, you know, you have to make all these decisions, like just mm-hmm. major decisions, like decide what you want to do for the rest of your life and then go study that, you know, when you're, yeah. when you're really young and you have no idea. So I was actually, I think, trying maybe to follow in my dad's footsteps. I was trying to, you know, please my dad or something. I studied electronics. So I went into, you know, into that direction for a few years. But then at the end of that, I didn't really want to continue with it. And I realized I wanted to do something creative instead. So that's when I chose graphic design. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I did really. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what inspires or lights you up the most about being a graphic designer? I think for me, it's an intuitive thing, actually. I find when I'm, I've been tuning it more into my intuition anyway in the last few years, but I find when it really works well, when it flows, when it feels good, it's when I feel like I tune into the other person and like maybe into their business and things like that. And just bringing to life something that is like a very maybe vague thing. People might have no idea. They might have some idea of visuals they want, but generally they don't. And for me, it's like when I talk to a person, 
I kind of get the visuals in my head, you know, when, okay. when it works well, because sometimes that doesn't happen. And then I get really right. like, oh, no. But when it <laughs> works well, then, yeah, it's like I see things in my mind's eye. And then it's just yeah. a matter of putting that on paper, as it were, digital right. paper. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I really like about it. Yeah. Do you work more with companies? Well, I used to work for, um, I have I have actually both as a client. Um, one of them is a human library organization. So they're like okay. an international global organization. And also like individuals, like especially for book design, I work with authors. Yeah. And just people with small businesses that want branding, things like that. Yeah. It's a very different type of energy because the, the companies, the most, the more established uh, companies, they have their brand yeah. guidelines and things. So I have to work very rigid, those. right? They are rigid, but I kind of like that though. Cause for me, okay. almost like a blank canvas, it makes yeah. me feel like it feels uncomfortable. It's really high pressure. I find, but when yeah. I've got like guidelines to work within, to me, that's reassuring. Yeah, I really like it. But do yeah. you think that with the, having those guidelines and working with companies like that, does that stifle your creativity, though, in a way where you're not as free to think creatively <laughs> and you're not able to put your own spin on it as an artist? Yeah, it depends on what I'm doing. Like, because for the Human Library, for example, there's a lot of things I, I design, like certificates and banners and things like that. And I'm more of an art worker. That's what I've always been like when it right. comes to design. And I really like that more end of the line stuff, like rather than have a blank canvas, because I, yeah. I feel like it makes me nervous almost having right. a blank canvas, because then I'm like, there's too many possibilities and I feel overwhelmed yeah. and I don't know what to do. Yeah. Although, like I say, when it, when the intuitive thing is switched on, when that works, then it's different. But right. I've had a lot of experience with it being like, oh, no, this is too much. I don't want to go. <laughs> you know, so so in a way, I feel like, I can be almost more creative when I do have these guidelines okay. to work within, which is interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now, I'm curious, as an artist, what are your thoughts on formal education, formal or educational training for the arts? Do you think it's absolutely necessary or are you more of the mind that you don't need to have that training to be an artist? Mm, good question. When I think back to being in college, we learned, I mean, it was not even the tip of the tip of the iceberg, really. You learn so much more when you actually are out there doing the job or doing some work or, you know, internships or whatever you want to start with. And partly it's stuff that I don't think you have to be a natural at all these things, like creative things, because some people are like, oh, I don't, I'm not creative, you know, and I'm like, of course you're creative. It's just like how we define creativity, isn't it? It doesn't mean you have yeah. to be like this amazing painter or all that stuff. But then there are also practical things that are good to learn about. So, mm -hmm. I mean, ideally, obviously the education will help bring that out in you and support right. and nourish you through that. Although that's not been my experience in some of the yeah. education that I've had, unfortunately. So, um, yeah. yeah, I felt it was really like you're, you're meant to fit into this really rigid set of rules and you have to do things in a particular way. And mm -hmm. otherwise it's just like you're doing it wrong, you know. Yeah, like, well, yeah. that's, that completely defeats the object, in my opinion. Because we all are so unique in our in our identity as well as you know, right. our creative expression. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there are any real rules per se when it comes mm. to creativity that you have to follow. That's what makes the arts so beautiful. Mm. Absolutely. Is that you can put your own spin on things. Yep, definitely. Now, I would love to get your take or your thoughts on something. I think about this quite a bit, actually, mm -hmm. and wonder about it when it comes to artists We'll throw athletes, musicians, all of those types into the mix here. Mm -hmm. Do you feel or are you of the mind that 
there are some people that are just born with a natural ability and they just, it's almost like they come out of the womb with, let's talk about um, with a paintbrush in their hand or with a guitar in their hand. And they just instinctively, intuitively, they're just, they know how to play these things or they know how to paint or they know how to draw or whatever, or create, we'll say, or is it something that you can learn, practice and hone and eventually hit that level? Because I think that those people that have that, innate talent, they're far and few between. So do you think it's possible for people to reach that same level of ability through practicing and honing their skills? Or is it something that can be taught to get to that level? Or do you think that it's just you're either born with that level of skill or you're not and that's it? Mm. I think there are definitely people who are born with this like innate, I don't know if it's a skill or a talent, you know, whatever you want to call it, really, mm-hmm. but this, this innate something that makes them maybe more of a natural at these right. things. But I think it also depends, like just because you're a natural at something doesn't necessarily mean that's something you want to be doing all the time or make a right. living out of. Do you know what I mean? Because there's yeah. some people who might be good at music and they're like, that's great. And I would do it as a hobby, but I'm not all that interested in becoming a pop star, you know, that, yeah. that kind of thing. So yeah. Um, yeah, this innate ability, there's definitely like a, a definite resonance there. And I don't know if you can learn it to the same degree yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky yeah. one. Even those who are have innate talents, they also still have to practice, you know, oh, at yeah. the same time. Yeah. So I think practice is a big part of all that. Like and some people might take a bit longer to catch up. But in the right. end, I think it's also like, what are you doing it for? You know, right. are you performing for someone? Is it is it for others? Or is it mostly because you enjoy doing this? Because I think if there isn't like an innate, not an innate, but like a, a, an internal like passion or drive or you know, a a pull towards this thing, Yeah. then I'm not sure it's really all that sustainable, you know? Well, I guess that could be said for anything in life. I mean, if you don't have a passion for something, then, you know, why, why, yeah, Yeah. why bother doing it? Right. I mean, even in the the corporate world versus entrepreneurship, and if you're not passionate, you don't love your job, you're going to be miserable. So why bother? Exactly. Find something that you're passionate about. Yeah. And I think very often it's like, and I mean, I've been guilty of this as well. Like when someone makes something or creates something just for the joy of it. And then people say, oh, you could do that for a living. You can sell it and you can make more things and you can, (laughs) do you know what I mean? And I've really enthusiastically said that to people as well. That can take all the joy out of it. So you have to be so careful. And just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to monetize it. Right. That's, Uh, yeah. That brings up something for me too is when Mm. I was talking about with friends and and people I knew about making the jump into photography full-time as an artist Mm -hmm. and leaving my corporate jobs like people were telling me well you're going to end up getting sick of that that's your hobby that's something you're doing as a hobby right now if you do this Mm. as a as a business you're going to end up hating it it's like I don't know I I think that depends upon the person and what your subject matter is that you're working with and all of that because I still love photography I mean albeit I'm on a different path right now but mm-hmm. it doesn't take away from my love for the art of photography because I turned it into a business. And sometimes I think you might have a really good idea of that and how that's going to turn out. And sometimes you have to try it out, you know, yeah. because you might think, oh, yeah, I'm a bit worried about that. But then you also maybe had a an intuition of like, no, I think we're good here. Let's let's yeah. just get on with this and, and let's move forward with it. Mm. And then you might have to course correct because you might find actually this is, you know, not working for me or something you might not expect to work is working, you know, it's yeah. hard to predict sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Mm. So what inspires you to create art? Where do you pull your inspiration from when you're creating? 
Mm. I think it's for me, as I said, it's very it's a very intuitive thing. But especially more recently, I find I've been more leaning towards creating on my own terms, you know, from the inside out rather than yeah. having people say, oh, I want this thing. Can you make it for me? Which is nice. You know, don't get me wrong. But I feel like there is this innate thing of like stuff wants to be expressed, like what wants to come out, what wants to be expressed through me, you know, yeah. today. So I feel like that's what I'm sort of more focused on these days. Right. So it is very much an in, inside out kind of thing. And it comes from, where does it come from? That's a good question, isn't it? <laughs> it I think it's whatever is alive for you. Yeah. Which are lovely words that a friend of mine used. What is alive for you right now? You know, and I was like, ooh, I like that. Yeah, I think and you I'll have use to kind that. Of, yeah, yeah. And you have to kind of just look inside and, and find that or let let it come to the surface, you know, because it can yeah. change a lot, especially if you're like me, who's someone who's multi-passionate. Uh, there's, it's really tricky for me. I find it hard to see things through because right. I have all these ideas and creative ideas that I want to play with. And I kind of have to find the balance between allowing myself time to for that creative play and also sometimes to actually do see things through. And the podcast is actually one of the few things I have seen through. Right. So, yeah. I think that's important for us as artists to have that time where, yes, I mean, because art is our career, art is our job, I think it's important to have that time for personal projects so you don't go down that path that I mentioned where people were saying, oh, you know, you're going to you're going to end up hating the art form of photography because you're doing it for a living. You have to do that every day. I think a good outlet is having those personal projects on the side to work on to distract mm -hmm. you from doing from the the day to day of your business mm, yeah i think so i think it depends on what kind of type you are personality type maybe right. like human design is an interesting one because i'm a manifesting yeah. generator and then a lot of those people i find are these multi-passionate people who've always right. got millions of things on the go and are never bored you know all that kind of stuff so um yeah well as you mentioned the podcast so you are a podcast host can you tell us a bit about your podcast the title subject matter is it interview style solo or is it a mix of both Yeah so it's called 50 shades of gender and okay. it came about some years ago when the book 50 shades of grey was all the rage and it started with a book idea actually and um my project partner and I were talking about oh how about we start or we we create a book with 50 stories of local gender diverse people just to show the diversity just here in Norwich in the UK where I live. And that got shelved for a bit because we both have lots of ideas all the time. So that just got <laughs> saved somewhere in the pot yeah. of many ideas. And a few years ago, like at the end of 2018, it just kept popping into my head. Like it kept, you know, just resurfacing. And I know when that happens on a regular basis, then it's something that needs my attention. And I was thinking, wow, how do I even tackle this? Because it felt like such a big thing like an insurmountable thing. And I thought, well, how would this start? And I got like with one conversation, just have one conversation with yeah. someone, record it, then transcribe it. And then you've got a book chapter. <laughs> right. Little yeah. did I know, but it's like, I found <laughs> that writing for a book is very different than having a conversation. Anyway, things learn, right? <laughs> so I, I did exactly that. I asked a friend of mine who's trans to have a conversation with me. We recorded it. It was just over an hour long. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to end up with all these audios. Why don't I use these audios? And then I was like, oh, podcast. So that's how the podcast idea was born. And okay. then the second conversation I had with another friend, 
was with the idea of making it into a podcast rather than approaching it with a book chapter thing, you know, right. idea. So I then re-recorded the conversation with my first friend as well. So I think the mm-hmm. first sort of 10 conversations are all like, or even more than that, they're all like local people I know, uh, friends, right. all that kind of stuff. And I started collecting these conversations. They're few and far between though. So in, I think, 2018, I did one 2019, maybe four or five. And then early 2020, I did another few more. And then when I had eight of them that I could actually use or that I was going to use, I then thought, well, let's start this podcast thing then, shall we? (laughs) Um, But I was overthinking things quite a lot. I was like, oh, I need music and I need this and I need that. And, And I got to a place, I think, where part of me was just like, just fuck it, forget it. Just forget all that stuff. Write an intro, write an outro, record it, put it together, edit one of the audios, pick one, do it, put it out there. I was like, whoa, okay. So I did that. And that was the end of June, 2020. So that's almost two years ago. And then I put an episode out before I even, I kind of bypassed my overthinking brain, I think somehow. (laughs) I don't know how I did it, but I did it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there was this episode out there. I was like, oh no, what do I have? What have I done? Now I need to keep this up. And then I started figuring things out. I learned like as I went and I used all the conversations I had recorded to um you know keep putting weekly episodes out yeah and then i ran out and i was like oh god what am i gonna do now so it was very very panicky last minute stuff for a few months actually after that to go like oh i need a guest hey hey friend do you want to be on my podcast (laughs) it was like that and it was just yeah, it was unsustainable. So then at the end of December, I think the same year, I decided to, I, I thought I need to do something different because this is too stressful. So then I yeah. started planning ahead. I took a week off, which was, you know, from the pod. That was really difficult because for me in my own head, I was like, no, I do this weekly. I cannot take a week off. I'm sure you can relate. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so then, um, yeah, I started planning better, planning ahead a bit more and um, being a bit more organized with it. And that really helped. So I kept doing weeklies until last year, October, when I went to every other week, because things just got like a bit much just for myself, you know, yeah. I'm doing it all on my own. And that's, that's where I'm still at, just doing and every couple we of weeks. Yeah, that feels more manageable. And uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. Beautiful. Yeah. So you're, you're also a budding writer and author and have recently been published as an international number one best-selling book. Yay. You and I... <laughs> are now or can now call ourselves published best-selling authors. Indeed. What does that title or label mean to you on a personal level? You know what? That's a good question. Because sometimes when I see people who say, you know, when they talk about themselves, when it's mostly about, oh, I've done this and I've done this training and I've got this certificate and I'm selling author, author, you know, for me, you know what? It means fuck all to me, to be honest. Because <laughs> the thing is, it means nothing in a way that when I connect with people, I won't yeah. know what the people are about. Right. I don't care about all this fluff. Titles mean nothing to me. I'm interested in what does this person stand for? Mm-hmm. What are their values? Just what they are like as a person with all these different facets. And then, because I was, I was kind of, um, it was a curious thing. Because for one, I don't really like Amazon. And the whole, yeah. like, in my, in my, you know, my brain is like, this whole best-selling author is like, why are you signing up to do this book? It means my brain was very rebellious about it. Right. Okay? And it's like, why are we doing this? Why are you, <laughs> you know? And it was very much an intuition, you know, like a guidance thing. Be like, yes, Mm -hmm. we're doing this. Just calm down. We're we're doing this. (laughs) Roll with it. Yeah, yeah. And I did. And I'm so pleased that I did because I felt like it was going to be the journey more than the destination that was going to be important to me. But it's in a way, it's both. So now I've got this, you know, I feel like I'm still growing into the the best-selling author thing. But it's not that it means nothing anymore. It does mean something. But what it means to me exactly... I'm still figuring that out, you know, 
And it's very Fair much enough. an internal, sometimes it's a, it's a bit of an, of an internal like tug of war, really. Yeah. It's like, just, uh, you know, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about it? I feel good, actually. I feel accomplished. Mm-hmm. I've, it's something I think to be proud of. Mm-hmm. But like you, I, I agree. It's something, it's a title to put on your resume kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like people walk around saying, well, I don't anyways, and I'm sure you don't either. I'm a mm-hmm. best-selling author. No, I don't. Hey. Because I never, ever thought of myself as a writer or as an Mm -hmm. author, really, to be honest. And to now have that as something that I've accomplished, that feels good to me, being able to Mm -hmm. have accomplished that. And like you, I'm still kind of settling into that and realizing, holy shit, I did this thing. I actually did it. I mean, I had been thinking about it wanting to write my own book, full length book at some point, I've only Mm -hmm. started thinking about in the last six or seven months about that. So Mm -hmm. I thought, hey, here's a great way to start the ball rolling into that world. Why not contribute a chapter to a book and Mm kind of dip my toe in the water, so to speak, to see how I feel about it. And it feels pretty fucking good to be able to say that (laughs) I'm an author that that feels good. But it's again, it's not something I go around bragging about saying, oh, I'm a published author. Mm -hmm. Hi, my name is Brad. I'm a published author. No, I like you. I don't Exactly. Exactly. For me. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And it's interesting because when I say all that or what I've just said, it's like I don't mean that it means nothing because it doesn't mean something. It's just like what what does it mean? It's like I think we all have to like investigate that almost for ourselves, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is a great accomplishment. I have Mm -hmm. to say, I at least that's the way I feel about it. I think it's a pretty incredible accomplishment because not everybody gets to experience that in their life. And I have to say that when I actually received the physical copy of that book and to hold that book in my hands and flip through the pages and see my words written on the pages of a book Mm -hmm. that people can buy, that feels pretty fucking incredible, I have to say. Yeah, it does. That is true. Yes. It is. It's pretty incredible feeling. So can you share a little bit about what your story in the book was all about and what the title of the book was? I mean, I know what the title was, but I'd love for you to share a little bit about it and a bit about your story in particular. Yeah, I didn't actually give my chapter a title. I think some people did, but um, I started mine with a quote by Albert Camus. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that name (laughs) properly, but it was like, what is it? What is it about? It's like, I should have looked this up, really. (laughs) It's about living your life in a way that your very existence is an act of rebellion. You know, that that kind of idea. I've just butchered that. But okay. My chapter, it it was interesting because when I signed up for this this book to contribute a chapter, that was months before the deadline, obviously. I think it might have been end of last year. Right. And and I was like, I was just dumping thoughts and things into a random note. And I was, I had no idea what I was going to write about. I was just like, my inner self was like, we're doing this thing. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, what am I going to write about? No idea. So I started dumping thoughts and ideas and notes all in in one place together. And then it was getting closer and closer to this deadline. And I was like, it was the week before. And I was like, seriously, I need to make my mind up. What the hell am I going to write about? (laughs) And I started draft you know I started writing a few things about you know meeting my project partner like 10 years ago who's trans non-binary and I thought I was going to write about like gender and things like that and link it in with the podcast I do and I knew that much but that was it so I started writing and it was just not flowing and I was like oh god what am I gonna do and then earlier that week the week before the deadline I discovered this new tea shop in the city Mm -hmm. and then I ended up chatting with someone in the tea shop, which is actually what I write about in the chapter. Okay. And meeting them just kind of formed suddenly. I I just, it just started falling into place, you know? So I started writing about meeting them and what that meant to me 
and how, you know, I linked it all into my, my own journey with the podcast and how I've been changing and evolving in the last few years and how it all fits together. And that's kind of how it came together. So that was over a weekend. That was really wow. quickly. <laughs> and I was a bit like, oh, you know, with the word count and stuff. And yeah, yeah it was tricky. In the end, I think I ended up with exactly the amount of words that I needed. <laughs> And it was like, wow, I've never really been so, you know, into this writing thing that I've yeah. been counting words and stuff like that and making the most of every word that I have, you know. Yeah. So it was it was such an interesting experience. Yeah. It it really was. And I much like you, I I didn't sign up though until I think it was early February. Mm -hmm. So I think I had two or three weeks to get it done. And mm -hmm. I kept putting it off and putting it off. And then four or five days before the deadline, I thought, right, I got to get this written. Holy yeah. shit, I better sit down <laughs> and do it. So yeah. I just cleared my calendar for the day, sat down and, and just dumped it all onto computer and just wrote it. And that was it. I just... yeah sat down and just did it yeah but, do you feel like your deadlines you know help you to get things done yeah I think yeah I do I do yeah. Yeah. yeah I think having that pressure mm -hmm. helps yeah. propel me and push me mm -hmm. to to get things done yeah I mean it's not the most ideal leaving things to the last minute but no. <laughs> <laughs> it just somehow just works out oh, that happens. way usually you know yeah yeah I find that too yeah so as we touched a little bit upon labels and whatnot and your dislike for them or not liking to use them you identify as pansexual and are dedicated to being the best gender diverse ally you can be what does the term pansexual mean for those who might not know and how long have you identified as pansexual well i've identified as it for about 10 years i guess since i've okay. met my project partner who is my partner uh, became my partner at the time and yeah, so there's sometimes people confuse pansexual and bisexual. They're not technically the same thing, although some people use bisexual when they mean pan, but they're just more resonant with the bisexual label. So bisexual means being attracted to two genders or more, two or more right. genders, basically. Some people only consider it as being attracted to men and women. Other people would just consider it as being attracted to humans, which is kind of what pansexual means. It's being attracted to people no matter what their gender is. So I don't care about, you know, someone's, I don't care about, like it's not important to me when it comes to attraction, put it that way. Yeah. Like someone's yeah. gender identity or someone's, you know, what body parts they have, how they identify, yeah. how they present. It's, it's, it's all fine by me, you know? So yeah. that's, that's kind of what it means to me. Yeah. Okay. Now, so I'd like to get your take on what your thoughts are on labeling people when it comes to their sexuality. I know a little bit about how you feel about labels, but mm -hmm. what about labeling people when it comes to their sexuality? How do you feel about that? Well, it's really simple. Ask people mm -hmm. who they are and take their word for it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> rather than yeah. me being like, because I could look at a person and be like, oh, these are the things. This is the kind of person you're attracted to. So this label fits you. Right. You know, and it's like something we all do. It kind of, we do that automatically, I think, to make sense of the world and all that stuff and for communication purposes as well. Yeah. But I think it's a comfort if, thing too. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it's tricky when you start, I don't know, putting your own understanding on a person in a rigid way. You know, you can ask someone, oh, does this mean you're this sexuality or like, even, you know, whatever sexuality it could be about sexuality mm -hmm. or gender or whatever. So if I know the definition of pansexual and someone says to me, oh, I'm just attracted to all humans, they might say I'm bisexual. If I can say to them, oh, that's interesting because I use pansexual for myself. Do you know the term and what does that mean to you? And do you, what do you think about it? So that's okay. But if I were to say, 
no, 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 you're not bisexual, you're pansexual. Do you know what I mean? That's not okay. I don't get to tell other people who they are. Yeah. I think that though people are maybe scared to ask those questions because they don't want to say the wrong things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a really tricky thing. And I feel like one, one of the things I've definitely learned in my podcast journey is how to navigate conversations in Mm -hmm. a more open way. Like the example I just gave, I'm not even sure I could have come up with that before I started the podcast. And I would have felt like, Oh, I'm curious about this, but I don't know what to say. And I, yeah. I don't even know how to start. And I better say like, and now I'm going to say nothing, you know, because I'm yeah. worried about getting it wrong, which is valid. You know, yeah. there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And at the same time, yeah, sometimes it makes you miss out on interesting conversations, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now you've also been nominated for the 2021 positive role model award, LGBT plus in the national diversity award. How did that nomination come about for you? Oh, well, that was a fun one. I I got an email (laughs) about the nomination and I wasn't sure at the time when I got the email, I was a bit skeptical to say the least. I thought it was one of those, like, I thought it was spam. (laughs) I thought it was one of those things like, oh, here's this award. Can you come to this event? It'll cost you this much. And it's like, you know, all this. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. I just really, (laughs) really annoyed at first. I was like, oh, what is this? What now? And then I looked into it further and I realized it was legit. And I was like, oh. That's interesting. So someone I know put me forward for this award. Oh, okay. And part of me was a bit like, no, I'm not going to, no, this is uncomfortable. No, I'm not going (laughs) to do anything with this. But then I thought further because I just wanted it to kind of go away. Do you know what I mean? I was like, no, no, this is no, 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 no. And then I thought, no, you know what? If I do nothing with this, that would be really doing a disservice to the person who took the effort to nominate me for this thing. Whatever it is, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. So what I had to do is I had to then fill in to take this further. So I got nominated and then I had to fill in like a list of questions just to clarify, you know, my my own viewpoint on it. And then I had to set up a profile, I think, and then other people could not vote for me as such, but like nominate me again and all that stuff. And that all added up to who the winner was going to be. I'm not quite sure how it all worked, but so I did that. And even filling in this form, because I basically had to blow my own trumpet. And I was like, no, this is uncomfortable. But I was like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're going with it. So it was a really (laughs) good thing for me to go through, you know, and like acknowledge my accomplishments and like where I've been and where I've come from and what I've done. So it was a really, really useful thing to, to go through. And then I got about 28, I think, other people who, you know, nominated me yeah. in, in response to that because I asked people to do that. And right. just the responses to that, because the, they were anonymous, so I couldn't say who typed what. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I could see what they typed, you know, about hmm. me. And it was like, that is just so lovely. It was yeah. really, really lovely. So I've saved this in a, I've got an Evernote note. It's called Praise, Testimonials and General Loveliness. So it's like anything lovely and good and all that. I just save it in a note. And, you know, when I'm having an off day, I can just remind myself why I'm doing what I'm doing. There um, you go. And that's yeah. it right there. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah. I yeah. think we should all do things like that. Is Absolutely. Put those away and save those. And when you are having those down days or those off days where you're not feeling good about yourself, go mm. back and read those things. Yeah, totally. Just to remind yourself why you're yeah. doing it. Yeah. So what did that nomination mean to you then on a personal level? It was very meaningful and it helped me, I think, yeah, to see my own not worth or value because that feels a bit muddled. But, you know, it made me realize the positive contribution I was making to this space of, you know, like platforming voices that need to be heard. 
right. marginalized, suppressed voices that need to mm-hmm. be heard. And it was really lovely to acknowledge that for myself, as well as accepting that from the other person who'd nominated me. Receiving you know, that. Receiving that. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's a big thing to receive, to actually, yes, we hear it and hear the words and see the words, but to actually receive them in your heart is a very different thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, totally. So keeping with just one more question, keeping with the labels thing, mm-hmm. you call yourself a queer mystic. Can you explain a little bit about where that came from and what that's all about for you? Mm. It's a it's a recent term, actually. It kind of came to me as I was, I've been tuning in more and more into my intuition and learning about channeling and how to develop that in myself and what that is like for myself. Because a lot of people think about channeling as in maybe someone who's clairvoyant or like a direct voice channel who lets, you know, spirit speak through them and all that stuff, which is all lovely. And uh, I listened to a lot of that. And for me, I realized it's more of a clear cognizance thing, which means you just get a sense of knowing. You suddenly just know something, but then you have to maybe find the words to communicate that. And that's a really interesting thing. And I've realized that's something that I've probably always had, but I always thought it was normal because it's my normal, you know? So you kind of think every, oh, everyone must experience that. (laughs) So yeah, you you just get this sense of something like an understanding, like a sudden download or something, you know? And then while I was tuning in the other day, I I tried to sit and it's not meditating as such, but like just more of a tuning in and connecting with my, I don't know, higher self or, you know, finding guidance or something like that. And the words came to me, queer mystic. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's kind of something I've been growing into and embracing more and more. And like I said, it is a very new thing, a very recent thing. So it's still a bit like, oh, what is my place in all this? And, you know, obviously I'm not the only queer mystic because there's other people who use that term, you know, for themselves and stuff like that. So I did look, I did a quick search. I was like, (laughs) okay, yeah, okay, yeah. This fits for you. Yeah, it does. It does feel good. Yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Now, I found this incredibly interesting when I read this about you. You were able to cure yourself of psoriasis, and your story was even included in a book by Dr. David Hamilton. Can you share a little bit about how you managed all of this and how the opportunity came for you to share your story in the book as well? Mm, Yeah. So, yeah, I developed psoriasis. It was on my scalp when I was around 17, and it just... It was, it's this kind of thing that, you know, it itches and it flakes and then you scratch and then you just end up, it just ends up expanding and stuff. So it just one, it was one of those things. And it was, I think, pretty subconscious for a long time. But at one point I got a sense of like, this is not quite what it should be. So I had it diagnosed and it was psoriasis. And then I got loads of, I don't know, you know, the creams and the treatments and all the stuff. And I tried some stuff for years. I had shampoos, I had ointments, I had all these things, but none of them really got rid of it. And as for side effects, it's like some of them could make it worse. Some of them could thin your skin. I don't know. But I got to a place where I was like, you know what? I'm just done with this. I'm fed up. And I decided to not do anything else with it. And I suddenly got a sense of like, one day it's going to go back to where it came from into nothing because it came just from nothing and it's going to go back to nothing. And I had a really strong sense of that. And that was probably one of my earlier, very intuitive things that I tuned into for myself. Quite a vivid one, actually. But I didn't quite know how to go about that. I went through like a few years. I think I had it in in total, maybe for about 20 years or so. Okay. And in the end, it kind of took up half my scalp, but it never got out from under my hairline. 
because right. part of me was a bit like, no, that's it. Do you know, what I mean? that's like, <laughs> it's no, not happening. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's kind of where it stayed for a long time. Although I had a lot of issues with because I wore a black a lot of the time. So, like, I just looked like I just had dandruff, like really yeah. extreme dandruff, like all the time. So that was not fun. But yeah, yeah so I, I kind of got to a place of like maybe a sense of surrender in that way to it. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of left it. And then I started looking into, I found David Hamilton's book, How Your Mind Can Heal Your Body. And he talks about visualizations and affirmations and things like that. And I worked my way through it and I was like, oh, yes, I'm going to try this stuff. And I did that for a while. And also I had, um, I was having Reiki treatments and I asked my Reiki master about it. And she said, you know what, you also need to get to a place where you're not giving your scalp a reason or an excuse to be flaky. That I felt like was a different, there's all these different facets to, to this journey of like getting rid of it. And um, in, in the book, there was such a good, it was a fun exercise, but I found it, it, it made me feel really silly. Like David talked about how some people have like, made themselves small and like imagine talking to themselves or like, you know, there's, there's all yeah. sorts of wild and wonderful stuff, which is absolutely delightful. Um, so I found my own version of it. And as I was doing it, I just felt like, you know, my brain was like, this is ridiculous. What, what are you doing? This is like, this makes no sense. What are you even, this is, you know, all yeah. that stuff. I was like, fine, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. So I found my own little visualization where I kind of made myself small and like put myself on my own shoulders and talk to my skin cells and all that kind of stuff. It was interesting to say the least. So I did that. And then my Reiki master as well said, you need to get to a place where you kind of are like in a place where you're looking back to it as in, I used to have psoriasis. I used to have psoriasis. Not I have psoriasis. This is my reality, which takes a lot of I think unlearning in some ways. Cause like, if you say to yourself, I used to have psoriasis, when you have an itchy scalp and and you obviously have psoriasis, then your brain thinks, well, this is bullshit, isn't it? This isn't what you're doing. But so it took a bit of persistence. It did take a lot of persistence actually. So I had to then, another thing I was doing was obviously my, my scratching it and my, you know, wiping these skin flakes off my shoulders, like all day, every day. What I decided to do is stop doing that. And it was almost like a reverse psychology almost. Like if you think about, you know, brushing my clothes off and and like, you know, scratching my head was almost reinforcing the psoriasis being there. And it was perpetuating it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So I then stopped doing that. But that was like unlearning a habit of 20 years in that way. That was not easy. So I constantly had to catch myself. Like when I wanted to scratch my head, I was like, nope mustn't do that and I was hard because it was itchy you know so yeah but that was part of it so I I I tried to do that I just I was just aware of it and like when I was trying to do it sometimes I still did it and I was like oh yeah doing that must not do that but not with giving myself a hard time you know it wasn't about noticing and changing the pattern noticing being aware change the pattern so that was the biggest step probably for me and just learning to not respond to it as if it's there. Because if I don't have psoriasis anymore, I don't have to scratch my head. I don't have to brush skin flakes off my shoulders the whole day. So it was about stepping into that place of, I used to have that and now I don't. So that was the main thing, I think. And I noticed that over time, it got less and less. And then it just, yeah, it just went away. Just disappeared. It just disappeared. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That's pretty incredible. So I'm, I'm really curious with what you were able to do in healing yourself 
Do you believe that we all have the power and the tools within us to do this type of thing? And is it just a matter of being able to tap into those abilities and figure out how to use them? I absolutely believe that we all have the ability. Yes. And it's also a very tricky journey because I think once you learn the power of the mind and you become aware of all that stuff, learning about how powerful we really are in that way is very empowering. And also you can shoot yourself in the foot with it because when I was learning about all this stuff, I was like, oh my goodness, I can heal myself. Yes, I believe it. I can do it. And then at one point I was like, I have a headache. And then I was like, I'm not managing to clear up my own headache. And then you can get really cross with yourself. Like how I know this now, I have this knowledge. Why is this not working? Why can't I do it? I am failing at this, you know, so you can also make it more difficult for yourself. So the most important thing is be aware of all that. Yes, but also treat yourself with a whole lot of acceptance and kindness and compassion as you navigate this, because it's so easy to become your own worst critic if you're not already that which yeah definitely which we usually we, well we usually are as human beings yeah. we we get in our own way constantly and we are our own worst critics absolutely yeah yeah so that's the that's, main thing yeah really navigating that with a lot of self-love yeah that is powerful thank you for sharing that i think that's mm-hmm. it's very good of you to share that so that people because we are hard on ourselves and yeah. you're right when you were getting those headaches and you couldn't clear it's like well, I I know I can do this because I've already done it. Why the fuck isn't this working? Yeah, right. (laughs) We do have to learn to be gentle with ourselves and compassionate with ourselves and give ourselves that grace. Mm -hmm. Now, your motto is do your thing your way. And do you passionately believe that authentic and unapologetic and at times radical self-expression is the most important gift we can give ourselves and the world. Why is this so personally important to you to live this way? And how do you put this into practice in your own life? Well, to me, it is like the embodiment of the word empowerment. I think that's what empowerment means to me, because I think we spend a lot of our lives trying to fit into all these rules and all these ways of being. And like society has all these rules for us. And this is how you're meant to do relationships. And this is how you're meant to do attraction and sex and identity and employment and, you know, living and all sorts of things, eating, you know, being in your body, all these things. And I feel like I've been becoming more aware of, I think, especially like misogyny, you know, being a woman and how that gets internalized for all of us and the things and the experiences I've had that I've thought, oh, this is just normal. And then you look back and you think, well, hang on a minute, sure as hell shouldn't be normal. You know, some of the stuff that happens. And yeah, and I feel like it's that's that's again coming back to this creativity from the inside out. It's like, what do I want to express? What do I want to leave behind? I'm a person who has no children because I've never really wanted to have that, you know, the, right. the family thing. I'm also not married, anything like that. Yeah. Not straight, not, I don't know, cisgender is something I'm pondering at the moment. I have no idea how that all works. The more I learn about gender, <laughs> the less I understand it, the more questions I have. Right. So, um, yeah, I feel like I've always done things in a slightly unconventional way. And I've always, I think question things i've always questioned things like why should i do things this way mm-hmm. does this even work for me and i think a lot of my younger life i did conform i did want to fit in but now i'm more about belonging and most of all like belonging to myself like what does yeah. this look like and who are my people who are my fellow weirdos you know who am I? <laughs> yeah let yeah. your freak flag fly exactly exactly i love it 
So yeah, I find that it feels really powerful to me. Very, very empowering. Like what yeah. do I want to express? What do I want to leave behind? Yeah, that stuff. A legacy. What legacy do you want to leave? Yeah. Well, the legacy I want to leave behind, I feel is one of more acceptance mm -hmm. and love and ideally, you know, a bit of a revolution, maybe a rebellion at yeah. least. That would be good. Yeah. <laughs> Something well, powerful, it's funny. you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what that's what sacred redesign was all about, right? Is living Definitely. living yeah. the life not of the constraints or constrictions of mm -hmm. what society puts on us. Exactly. Yeah. To date, Esther, what would you say is your biggest high or your greatest win? Mm. I would say the podcast. That's definitely one of them. But I think yeah. maybe above that is potentially my own willingness and ability to evolve and grow as a person. And it can take a lot of courage, I think, to address certain things, especially stuff that is so integrated, because it will just, you know, pull the rug out from under you, basically, in so many ways. So I think that is my biggest win, I suppose. That's yeah. a pretty fucking big win to step yeah. into those shoes and to, and to be authentically who you are. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it's a journey, it's, you know, it it's is not, it's absolutely. Not done. I'm not like, oh, as I you have say, arrived. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as you said, it's, it's not the destination. It's about yeah. the journey. We don't, I don't think we ever arrive. Nope. I think we're constantly evolving. We're constantly mm -hmm. working on ourselves and we're constantly on that journey. Yep. I think so too. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I think it's a good question. I would think resilience, the word resilience is coming up for me, mm -hmm. but also I think willingness to change, be open rather than get defensive and be reactive, learn to pause and respond. And I think all that stuff, it goes together, I find, with when you apply acceptance to others, it also works for yourself and the other way around. So you can start anywhere, really. I can start yeah. with self-acceptance and then I find that I'm more accepting of other people or the other way around. So, yeah. I think that's the way to do it is start within ourselves. I mean, mm -hmm. once we work on ourselves, we are the foundation for everything. And so once we work on ourselves, it just emanates out from there and into everything else that we do and who we are. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Mm. To me, success means a sense of fulfillment, I suppose like feeling good in myself and about myself and what I do and being in integrity and being authentically me. I feel like that is my my measure of success. Does that mean I would also like more money? Yes, I do. <laughs> I, would, I would like that very much. But to me, that's not, because the thing is you can make money with things that, with, with various things, you know, I can get a job basically and make money that way, more money than I'm making now. But like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So to me, that's like secondary in, in the, you know, in the way of how success is defined for me. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? What was your life like after you learned it? Mm. I think learning about identity, I suppose, and that it was opened up through learning about gender or more about gender and just how unique we all are as people. And yet how much we have in common, we have more in common than we are different. And like life is full of paradoxes, I think, and that those things can coexist, like e even opposing things can coexist at the same time. And they're both true, you know, like mm -hmm. we have a lot in common as humans. And also we are very different. We are in unique individuals. And that's just one of them. But yeah, like there's a lot of not duality, but, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. 
in life and it's made life more beautiful i guess yeah yeah i mean we are we're we're all so similar mm. like I, I i think about an experience i had where i was i was applying for a job at the coroner's office they were looking for a photographer mm -hmm. and so a friend of mine worked at the coroner's office and he managed to get me the opportunity to do a job shadow with the photographer that was doing the job at that time mm -hmm. which meant that I got to spend the day at the coroner's office and witnessing autopsies and I witnessed one from start to finish and I'm telling you Esther that experience is something that will stay with me forever I bet um, but I think what stuck out the absolute most for me about that day and that particular experience was the fact that we are all so much alike. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all have the same parts inside. We all bleed the same color blood. It's, mm -hmm. it's just, it's mind blowing that all of the strife and the differences in the world. But when we boil it down to something so simple as who we are as human beings, we're all the fucking same. Mm -hmm. We just have different skin color different skin tones, different beliefs, different religions that we follow or whatever the case. But when you boil it down to that thing, we're all the fucking same. All mm -hmm. of us. We yeah. all have the same parts within us. Yeah. There's no need for all the bullshit that we deal with in the world. Right. <laughs> it, it's absolutely yeah. ridiculous if we all just mm. had that mindset and believed and loved one another and support like the world would be such a wonderful, wonderful place. There wouldn't be all this bullshit. Mm -hmm. If everyone had that opportunity to witness something like that, and maybe not necessarily that, but was able to wrap yeah. their head around the fact that we all are the same, really, when it comes down mm -hmm. to it, how different would things be? Totally. And like how fleeting life is really yeah. and how we're all here for a short amount of time yeah. and no one's getting out of here alive and you know, all right. that stuff, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. It was a very interesting experience and that really okay. shifted the way I thought about things and wow. the way I viewed life. It's mm. it's so powerful. Amazing. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? That's a tricky one to answer. I think I've received <laughs> the interesting thing though is what I found. I've received many good pieces of advice, but it's usually been coming from places where not that I'm going to look for advice or I'm going to pay for guidance or, you know, coaching or whatever. It's been mostly just people I've been in conversation with. It could be friends I've known for years. It could be someone I've just met and talked to for an hour or even less. And then I never see them again. But it's just little things that are just said at the right time in the right way where you just really, really hear it, you know, when it's just what you need. And I can think of several occasions, although the details of the actual advice escapes me. <laughs> but that I find that really profound, though. Um, that is actually. Yeah. And like people who you might not normally have like in-depth or meaningful conversations yeah. with in a, in a way that are really you know, like that, but suddenly they just come out with something and you're like, wow. And I love that. that I think resonates. that is my favorite. Yeah. 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 Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Okie dokie. What was your very first job? I think I was a kitchen assistant in like a holiday place. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? Uh, likely to swear, we'll eat your food. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe yourself in one word? Rebel. If you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, what song would that be? Oh, let's go with We Will Rock You. <laughs> <laughs> if you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? Love. 
What is one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Time. Would you rather have more time or more money? Ooh. That's a tricky one. More time or more money. I think time is the most precious resource in that way. Because yeah. if you do the right things with it, you can make the money. There you, know, you go. You can't buy time with money. So yeah. that was my short answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> what is one of your favorite words, Esther? Ooh, the word kitten. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Right. It's just perfect. Yeah. All right. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to Yay. our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> <laughs> Esther, what is your why? My why is to empower others as I am more empowered myself. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation, a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? That is a tricky one because there's so many people I would love to have a conversation with. Maya Angelou comes to mind. I think we would have a lovely conversation. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? You know what? I have no idea because your list of questions was thorough and extensive. (laughs) (laughs) I can't think of anything else. (laughs) Well, then I guess I did my job. So that's good. That's good to know. (laughs) Esther, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? I think it would be question everything and you've got this. Just keep going. Trust your gut. Yeah. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your people, your communities, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Mm, well, this is obviously one I've thought about a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what I wrote, what I came up with when I got your list was the following. Uh, stop, look up, look around at your loved ones, at nature, at what you've created. What is important to you? What are you leaving behind? Make sure it means something to you. Don't let others dictate what that should be. Our experiences as humans are so diverse and they are all valid. Be open, accepting and compassionate of others more often. You are powerful. You matter and you are loved. Beautifully said. Very powerful. I love it. Thank you, Esther. Thank you. This has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. I appreciate you and I am so honored to have had this opportunity to sit down and chat with you. And I'm honored and happy to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. You are a beautiful soul, human being, woman, all of those things. And I just appreciate you. Thank you so much for making the time and taking the time to be here with me today and sharing your story and your journey. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Brad. I love your work with the Empowerography podcast as well. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Esther Lemons. She is a creative rebel, queer mystic, artist, podcaster, writer, and generally non-conforming. Thank you so much, Esther. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.